for us this morning. We're going to be in John chapter number four. John chapter number four. And I'll start in verse one. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Joseph's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Now let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for allowing us all to come on this live stream and to just hear the words that God's given the pastor to preach this morning. I pray that you'd be with the church members, that you would just heal their infirmities, that you'd be with them, that you'd give them hope, and that uh, that you just show them that this is not the end, and that this was all part of your plan, Lord, and that good's going to come out of this. I pray that you just, uh, like I said, be with pastor, give them wisdom, and that the church service would go well in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jacob. And... Uh... I just want to make a one quick comment before we get into the message. Uh, thank you to the families that helped uh, with that video, and it was so good to hear from you, and uh, I just want to thank you for your involvement. To be real honest, uh, we wanted to go and do that with every single person that came to, comes to our church <laughs> that's a part of our church. We want to hear from you, but we had to keep it. We realized that the whole service couldn't be video, um, although it kind of is. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. Uh, so um, I, we look forward to seeing all of you, and, and, and uh, down the road we'll get, we'll get some of your other testimonies that didn't get a chance to do that this time. But uh, John chapter 4 was where we are, and um, the title of the message today is Shortcut Through Samaria. Now, I don't know about you, uh, well, I'll ask you, how many of you are always looking for a shortcut? I know I am. There are some hands that go up here in the room um, if there's a way to get from point A to point B faster, then please sign me up. I'm not usually one for the scenic route. Uh, if my wife wants to go a longer way, I, I kind of fight against that. I like to go the, the most direct path from point A to point B. I remember when we moved here to Moore a couple of years ago, um, well, a little, a little over a year and a half ago, I should say, um, I was on the lookout for a faster way to get from our home to the church. And uh, so I, I found the fastest way. The fastest way is for me to take Telephone Road all the way up to um, Main Street and then from Main Street over to the church. That's the most direct, quickest path, okay? The problem is every time I take it, um, I'm taking a ginormous risk. What is that risk, you ask? The train risk. Uh, so... Um, and there's been many times where I thought, I'm going to go the fast way. I'm going to go telephone to Maine, and then I get stopped at the train, and I'm like, that is not the fast way anymore. Uh, well, uh, if I want to take the sure route, I go 19th over to Tower Road, and I go underneath the train tracks, and then I'm able to get here uh, for sure. It's not the fastest way, but it's the more sure route. Uh, I'll never forget when I was in junior high, I had to walk to school every day. Uphill, both ways, barefoot. I know, I'm turning into my dad is what's happening. But uh, anyway, when I was in junior high, I had to walk to school. And my junior high was uh, about a 
a mile and a half away from my home. And uh, so I uh, walked to school, and it took a while to get there. It took about 30 minutes-ish to get there, about a half an hour. Um, but on my way to school, I, my, my best friend lived on the way to school for me. And so I would usually stop at his house, and, and we'd walk to school together. Well, I don't know how, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but we discovered that if we, there, there was a shortcut. And the shortcut was we got on top of, he had cinder block, a cinder block fence. And so if we got on top of his cinder block fence, his wall, and we would walk along his neighbor's fence, so we'd get past his yard into the neighbor's fence, and we'd drop down past that, uh, it would save about 10 to 15 minutes off our walk. So it would shave about half of our walk off if we would wall walk. And so we did that. Many, many times we would walk on the wall to take a shortcut. And uh, there were several times where his neighbor saw us doing that and was like, oh, those kids. Uh, I don't know if it was the right thing. Probably not. It was probably trespassing. But we were on the lookout back in those days for a shortcut. And so we took it. Uh, Anyway, John chapter 4 is the record of some events that took place early on in Jesus' ministry. See, early on there came a point when his popularity began to rise. In uh, John chapter 4 and verse number 1, the Bible says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. And then it dropped down to verse number 3. It says, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Uh, He had just performed the miracle in Cana as he turned the water into wine there at the marriage in Cana. And that was the first public ministry that he did, and that really began his public ministry. And, of course, word began to spread very quickly as to what this Jesus could do. And so his popularity began to rise, and it wasn't time for him to face off with these, uh, with these Pharisees. And so he decided that he was going to go to Galilee. Well, uh, on a, normal, uh, a normal logical person like you and I would obviously choose to take the shortest path from Judea to Galilee. Well, the the, the trouble is the Jews, they weren't normal logical people when it came to Samaria. You see, they actually went the long way around Samaria. And I have a map to kind of show you to help you visualize what they did. So Samaria there is that, uh, that yellow highlighted area. And Jesus was there in Judea underneath south of Samaria. And when it's time for him to go to the Galilee, instead of going straight through, most people, the Jews, would go around the traditional route there you see in the dotted line. But not Jesus. Jesus went straight through Samaria. And, uh, and I have a question. Why would the Jews not go through Samaria? Why would they not go through Samaria? Well, in a nutshell, the Jews viewed the Samaritans as a lesser race of people. And ultimately, totally detested them. They didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. Well, why was that? You see, when the northern kingdom of Israel was invaded and conquered uh, in 722 BC, the Samaritans had integrated and intermarried with their foreign conquerors. And from the Jewish perspective, were totally unclean. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. And so for this reason, Jewish travelers going north to Galilee nearly always took that eastern route going through to Galilee, um, through that Jordan Gorge, even though it took almost twice as long 
They took the scenic route because they despised and hated the Samaritans. Now, obviously, there was quite a bit of animosity between these two regions. They didn't like each other. So when Jesus here, in verse number 4, made it clear to his disciples that it was time to go through Samaria, it caught their attention for sure, enough to where John, as the human author of this, said in verse number 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. He made a special note about it because it was not a normal path that Jews would take uh, when they went from Judea into Galilee. And so John, it caught his attention and he said, wow, there's something about Jesus. He's insistent on going through Samaria. Now, why did Jesus take this shortcut through Samaria? Was it, what was it that motivated him to go through this less than ideal territory? Was it to save time? Jesus was in a hurry and he didn't want to waste time. Was, it, was that the reason? Was it because it was just easier of a trip to take? No, I submit to you this morning that there were some specific reasons in which he must needs go through Samaria. What were those reasons? I want to look at them with you very briefly this morning. First of all, I want us to notice the reason that he must needs go through Samaria was to reveal his person. To reveal his person, to reveal who he was. You see, Jesus wanted to show us and to display to his disciples and to us, who he was and who he is. During the shortcut through Samaria, Jesus displays the fact that he is both 100% God and 100% man at the same time. First of all, in this passage, in this encounter here with, most of us know this, this, uh, this event, and most of us know what happens. But in this encounter, we, we see here, first of all, he shows us his humanity. We see his humanity. In verse number 6, notice here it says, Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey. So Jesus was weary, he was tired. And so he sat thus on the well and it was about the sixth hour. So about noon, Jesus gets there and he's tired from walking. Well, all of us can relate with that because all of us have been tired from time to time. And maybe you're tired even now. Uh, I know that most of us are tired of being uh, cooped up in our homes and looking forward to getting back to normal life. We're tired. Well, that's a human uh, emotion. That's a human thing. And Jesus here displays his humanity in his weariness. Where else does he uh, show it? Well, verse number seven, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and then Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. You see, Jesus is thirsty. Oh, not the first time, or not the last time, or the only time that Jesus ever expresses thirst. If you remember there on the cross of Calvary, Jesus, one of the seven sayings of the cross is when Jesus says, I thirst. So he displays his humanity, he displays the fact that He's 100% man, and so he can relate with you and I. Where else does it show that his humanity? Well, if you drop all the way down to verse number 31, after the disciples come back with uh, lunch, they went on a lunch run, and when they came back with, uh, you know, whatever they came back with, Chick-fil-A, I'm not sure, but uh, verse number 31, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. 
Jesus is human, so he was hungry and thirsty, and, and uh, he wanted to eat, and, and uh, the disciples would commonly see him eat. And so here in this passage, we see many times where Jesus pointed to the fact that he's 100% man. I think of uh, the passage in Philippians as Paul writes to the church there at Philippi, and he talked about having uh, these people having the mind of Christ in them. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then one of the verses in that special passage says about Jesus, he made himself of no reputation, and he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So Jesus was 100% man. But we also, not only in this encounter, see his humanity, we also see his deity. If you go back up even to verse number one, I like how John records this here. John chapter four and verse number one, he says this, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Verse number three, he, so the Lord, Jesus, he, same person. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus isn't just the master. He is God as well. And uh, John points that out here in this passage. But then as we go down through this, um, this encounter here in verse number 10, we see this. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. And so only God could give someone living water. And he was really kind of pointing to the fact that he was God and he was able indeed to give that living water. In verse number 34, I love this. Um, I'm sorry, in verse number uh, 26, I'm sorry. In verse number 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Well, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee, am he. I am the Christ. I am the promised one. I am God in human flesh. I am the one that is going to redeem you and forgive you of all of your sins. I am the Christ. I am he. Really in the Greek, it was I am is the way that was worded. Of course, that is a reference back to Exodus when God told Moses that I am hath sent you. And so here Jesus uses that to say, I'm not just a man, I am the I am. And so here he shows his humanity and he shows his deity. And that was significant to the disciples. It was also significant to the people there in uh, Samaria to indicate the fact that the Messiah had indeed come and he was the Messiah. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 3, we see this. Uh, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That passage shows the fact that Jesus was both human and he had deity. He was 100% man and 100% God all at the same time. I think also of John chapter number 10. We're in John chapter 4. John chapter 10 uh, Jesus made this comment, and you might remember it, where he said, I and my Father are one. You remember that? Well, the next verse says this. Were the Jews happy about that? No, no. Here's what the, here's what the next verse says. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, 
Many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because thou, that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. You see, this is why Jesus was nailed to the cross, or at least in the minds of these Pharisees. They, uh, they wanted to put him on the cross for blasphemy because he equaled himself with God. Well, uh, it wasn't blasphemy because it was true. Because Jesus was God in human flesh. The word was God in John 1, uh, verse 1. And the Bible says in John 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so Jesus was the word. He was God and is God. And he was also a man as well. So in this encounter, we see Jesus came to reveal his person. Why did he take this shortcut to reveal who he was, to reveal his person? But secondly, also, he came to remove prejudices. He came to remove prejudices. Now, this was quite a shocking shortcut to take through Samaria. It was shocking to the disciples And it took him by surprise that Jesus would choose to go through this despised land. But it was also shocking to the Samaritan woman that Jews would deliberately go through this territory and be willing to converse with a Samaritan. If you look here in verse number 9 of John chapter 4, after Jesus asks her for a drink, um, verse number 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew... Ask us drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She said, it's, it's a very strange thing that you would even have this conversation with me. I mean, it's so odd that you would want to talk with me. I mean, don't you know who I am and don't you know who you are? You, don't, you guys don't have any dealings with us. Why, were you, why are you talking with us? See, Jesus must needs go through Samaria in order to remove some social barriers and prejudices that had uh, risen up and evolved. He went through that area to show his disciples that the ground is level at the cross and that God is no respecter of persons. He went through Samaria to teach the disciples and ultimately you and I also to not be a respecter of persons. Do we do this in our lives? Are we sometimes respecter of persons? I would say yes. James definitely hits the nail on the head when he wrote these words in James chapter 2. He said, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. He said, There's some of you who are walking around who have the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're a respecter of persons. He said, Don't be like that. He goes on to say this, For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say to him, Oh, uh, sit thou here in a good place. But then say to the poor, uh, Yeah, just stand out there, uh, or, or sit under my footstool. Are you then not partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts, James says? He says, hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. 
Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, James says, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. He gets kind of pointed, doesn't he? He doesn't hold any punches. He lets us have it. And friend, if you are a respecter of persons, James says, ye commit sin. God doesn't want us to hold prejudices and grudges toward a certain group of people because of something. Look at friend, it does not matter what nationality you are. I like what my brother-in-law does whenever he fills out a form, and he may be watching this morning, but a questionnaire, sometimes it'll ask, you know, what's your race? And it gives several options, and then there's one that says other. He'll select the other and write in the word human. He's part of the human race. I thought that was good. Because look, it doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what your financial status is. It does not matter what sides of the side of the track that you grew up on. It does not matter what your educational background is. It does not matter what religion you were raised in. It does not matter what skin color you have. It does not matter if you are male or female. It does not matter whether you root for the Oklahoma Sooners or the Oklahoma State Cowboys. It does not matter if you are a Ford man or a Chevy man. God loves you and the ground is level at the cross of Calvary. Paul said it this way in Romans 3 and verse number 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Uh, The Jews would look at the Gentiles and say, uh, we have a much better pedigree than you, so we're better than you. Paul said, knock it off. We're all under sin. We're all under sin and desperately in need of a Savior. We're all in the same boat. Do you remember that old song we used to sing in Sunday school? Red and yellow, black and white. We're all precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. It doesn't matter uh, any of the things I just mentioned. God loves you. And, And the ground is level at the cross. Job 34, verse number 19 says... And uh, listen to the first part of the verse and then especially the last part of the verse. First part says, How much less to him that accepteth not the persons of princes, nor regarded the rich more than the poor? And then listen to this. For they are all the work of his hands. And so look, when you look down on your nose at somebody for some reason, you know what you're looking down your nose at? A creation of God. You better understand that, look, they're all the work of his hands. And uh, I'm the work of his hands, and so are you, and so is everybody on this planet. We better not be looking down at others because of it. God is no respecter of persons, and we shouldn't be either. And when he must needs go through Samaria, he was removing prejudice from our lives. Why did he come through this Shortcut, well, to reveal who he was, to reveal his person, and to remove prejudice. And thirdly, this morning, he also came through that shortcut to redeem people. To redeem people. One of the big reasons he must needs go through Samaria was because he knew there was a lady there 
who needed a savior. And he loved that lady, and he was willing to talk with that lady, and he was willing to lead her to himself. Jesus said in Luke 19 and verse number 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And friend, aren't you glad that he did? Because that's me. I was lost, but praise the Lord, I am now found. Because he came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost, then that was me. That's one of the main reasons he came to this earth, and that was one of the main reasons he must needs go through Samaria. What did he came to redeem people from? First of all, he came to redeem people from their sin. Let's pick it up with, uh, in John 4, 4 and verse number 10 here. Pick it up in verse number 10. The Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest asked him uh, of him, and he would have given thee living water. Well, the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And uh, little did she know who she was talking to. The answer was, yes, he was greater than Jacob. Verse number 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Well, whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. And pointing to the well. But verse 14, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Well, the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Like, hey, yeah, you're going to remove all my earthly problems? I'm down with that. Sign me up. I'll take some. Uh, Give me a cup of that. I'll drink it. Uh, Jesus says, not so fast in verse number 16. (laughs) He said, uh, actually, uh, can you go ahead and call your husband and come hither? Well, the woman answered correctly and said, I have no husband. Jesus said in verse 17, you're right. You've said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that said, uh, you were right when you said that you had no husband. Well, verse number 19, woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She understands she's been caught in her sin, and Jesus exposes who, uh, her for who she is. She's like, oh, I don't have a husband thinking that he's going to buy that particular excuse. Oh, but it didn't, it didn't stop there. Jesus pressed a little further and said, actually, you're correct. You don't have a husband. Uh, you've had five. And some, some commentators are saying, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that she's had really immoral relationships with those five. They could have deserted her. Uh, they, they could have died, and she could have been a widow five times. That's possible, absolutely. Absolutely. But when Jesus says, but he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. The guy you're living with right now, the guy you're shacked up with, is not your husband. She was involved in sin, and that is sin. You know, Jesus came to expose us for who we are. None of us like that. None of us like to be... uh, really vulnerable and transparent before others or God. We like to have everybody think we're doing just fine. But you know, the Bible says in Hebrews that we're 
Uh, all things are open to him with whom we have to do. All things are open and naked unto him with whom we have to do. He sees it all and he knows all. And he was showing this lady here that, uh, you know what? I do know who you really are. I do know your past. And, and certainly the reason she came at noon versus early in the morning is an indication that she had something to hide. She didn't want to expose herself to anyone. She didn't want to be out in front of everybody and, and, and interact with anyone because of her past. That's, that's a certain possibility, uh, very likely. You know, Jesus came to redeem this lady from her sin, though. Yes, he came to expose that sin, but he came to redeem her from it. I'm thankful that we can be redeemed from our sin. Romans 5, and I love this, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And then, he, and then Paul says, look, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Yes, this lady's sin was great. And by the way, my sin was great. And can I be honest with you and frank with you? Your sin is great too. But it's not greater than God's grace. God's grace is greater. I mentioned Romans 3 and verse number 9 a few moments ago where I said that, hey, we're not better than they. We're all under sin. Well, it continues on. It says, the next verses say, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And then most of us are familiar with this verse, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Jesus came to expose us of all of our sin. And look at, friend, you and I are sinners. We're sinners by birth and we're sinners by choice. It's who we are. But God's grace is greater and he came to redeem us from our sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the next verse says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, the reason Jesus died on the cross, and last week we celebrated the fact that he rose from the grave, the reason he did all of that was to be able to redeem you and me from our sin. If we would but believe on the name of the Son of God, if we would simply place our faith and trust in him alone for our salvation, all of our sins can be forgiven. All of our, all of our transgressions can be gone. But we do need to understand that all of us have broken the law of a holy and righteous God and that we are guilty of committing crimes against the God of heaven. We need to understand that and then believe on Jesus Christ and the payment that he made on the cross of Calvary. He came to redeem from sin, but he also came to redeem from religion. I pick it up here in verse number 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And then she changes the subject. She's like, let's stop talking about this. Let's change. I'm going to talk about how good of a person I am. Verse number 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She began to point to her religion and say, yeah, I've come from a long line of people who worshipped in this mountain. And there, there's, a, there's a big backstory to that, and we won't take the time to do that this morning. But anyway, she points to her religious background, and she points to the fact that, hey, I'm a good person because my family worshipped in this mountain, and we worshipped God, and we were sincere. Jesus saith unto her, verse 21, 
Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye neither shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. He's basically saying, look, there's a new time coming where you're not going to need to worship God in a specific location. Praise the Lord, Cornerstone Baptist Church. We don't have to be in a certain location to worship God uh, because Jesus came. He came to take away all the religion. In verse number 22, he says, you worship no, not what? We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeth, seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's saying, look, there is coming a day where it's not going to matter where you're at. You can worship the true God and you can worship him not with just a bunch of rules and regulations. There was the, the Jews were pretty good at having the rules and regulation and no spirit. They had the truth and no spirit. The Samaritans had all spirit but no truth. And Jesus said, look, uh, there's coming a day when you can worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. You can have the right truth and you can have the right spirit. And it's not going to be a matter of location. You can worship God anytime. You can worship God there at home. You can worship God here at our church. You can worship God at work. You can worship God at school. You can worship God uh, when you're in the car. You can worship him anywhere. Praise the Lord for that. And Jesus came to provide that way. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, redeem us from our religion? This may seem strange because religion is a good thing, right? Well, it depends on what you mean. <laughs> in the Bible, most of the time, religion is usually painted in a negative light. For those who remember, Jesus preached his most searing and serious sermon to a bunch of religious people who were relying on their religion and rules and regulations to earn them favor with God. And if you're looking to your religion, if you say, well, look, I, I'm a member of Cornerstone Baptist Church. If that's what you're relying upon to get you into heaven, my friend, you're going to miss heaven. Because Cornerstone Baptist Church did not die on the cross for your sins. It did not rise from the grave the, three, the, third, the third day. If you're relying upon your membership to some religion or to some church, you're going to miss heaven. The only way anyone gets to heaven is not through being a member of a church. It's not through their religion. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what he was trying to explain to uh, this woman there at the well. We're not saved by good works. Ephesians 2 and verse number 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3 and verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Jesus came to redeem people. He came to redeem this lady. So Jesus took a very purposeful and yet shocking shortcut through Samaria. He, as John recorded it, must needs go through Samaria. Why? to reveal his person, to show everyone that while he was 100% man, he was also 100% God at the same time, to reveal his person, to remove prejudice from our lives, and also to redeem people from their sin and from their religion. Well, what happened as a result? Verse number 25, let's pick it up there. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh. cometh. She's like, I know the Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. And when he has come, uh, he will tell us all things. 
And then all of a sudden, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And immediately the blinders were taken off. And she wasn't relying upon her religion anymore. And she was leaving her sin. Verse number 28, the Bible says, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. You see, this unnamed believer became one of the first and most effective evangelists in all of the Bible. Let's look here in verse number 39 and see what happened as a result of her witness. She went into the city and said, I've met the Christ. He's here. Jesus has come. Verse number 39, in many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the women, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So a lot of these Samaritans, many of them, the Bible says, believed on Christ. Well, let's keep reading here. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And verse 41. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying. You're like, we don't want you to get credit for this one, lady. <laughs> uh, we believe, not because you said anything, but... Uh, We have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the the world. So many of these Samaritans ended up coming to Christ and becoming believers because this lady went and became an evangelist. She took the word of God and and, uh, many believed because of what she said and many said, "Ah, I need to hear it for myself and went and heard it and and uh, said, yeah, you're right. He is the Savior of the world. He's come. Now, no, no wonder Jesus decided to take the shortcut through Samaria. Because <laughs> there was a lady that needed to be saved, but then there was a whole city of people that needed to come to Christ. And many did, because he took the shortcut. Now, what should we do with this message today? First of all, are you like the woman at the well? trying to find your satisfaction in more sinful pleasure? Maybe another relationship will fix everything. Uh, maybe, maybe another wedding, maybe another marriage, that'll fix it all. Uh, maybe more sin, that will help. That'll take the edge off of the uh, emptiness that I feel in my life. Oh, I know, maybe I add religion to my life. That'll fix everything. Maybe I turn over a new leaf. No, what you need to do this morning is to leave your sin and leave your religion and come to Jesus Christ because he is the only one who can offer you living water and quench your thirst, the thirsting of your soul. He's the missing piece in your life. You're incomplete without him. Try as you might, you'll not find satisfaction apart from a relationship of Jesus Christ. There's a song in our hymnal written by Richard Blanchard that says... Like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. And then I heard my Savior speaking, draw from my well that shall never run dry. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. And the second verse of that song says this, there are millions in this world who are seeking for pleasures earthly goods afford, but none can match this 
wondrous treasure that I find in Jesus Christ, my Lord. Again, try as you might. You're not going to find true satisfaction apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Solomon tried. In Ecclesiastes chapter number 2 is his testimony of his life. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, uh, had really everything you could ever want. I want to just take a quick moment. We're almost done this morning, but I want to share with you what Solomon has to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He said, I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? And then he said, I sought in my heart to give myself into wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what, uh, what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. Solomon said, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens. I had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. Oh, I had gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the providences. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments, and that of all sorts. Then he said, So I was great, and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom re- remained with me, and whatsoever mine heart or mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was the portion of all my labor. He said, Man, I had it all. You, you name it, I had it. And I had abundance of it. I basically, I had an unlimited supply of whatever I wanted. You would think he would be Mr. Satisfied. You would think he would be one happy camper. But the next verse says this, Then I looked at all the works that my hands had wrought, and on all the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Solomon said, I had it all, but it was completely empty. It didn't bring me real satisfaction. The only way a real satisfied person or a person can find real satisfaction is in a relationship with God. And he later says that at the end of his book when he's like, let's hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Fear God. So for those of us, uh, maybe you're like that. You've been clinging to your sin. You've been clinging to your religion. Friend, let it go, come to Christ, and experience the living water that will quench your thirst of your soul. But those of us who have been saved and have come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, let's make the decision this morning to not become like the Jews in that day who were very prejudiced. Let's let's remove the prejudice and the social barriers in our lives and understand that, look, there's no one that's better than anyone else in Christ. We're, we're all saved by the same blood. And it, let's, not, let's not be respecter of persons. And let's make also the decision today to be like that, that woman who came to Christ and decided to be an evangelist. Let's decide to be evangelists as we go through our, way, our week and our lives. Let's, let's tell everybody we can, hey, I've found the Christ. 
I found the one, the promised one. And the only way I can have the satisfaction of my soul is in a relationship with Christ. Let's take that message to a lost and dying world. I know it looks a little different right now with all the social distancing, but let's ask God to give us wisdom to still fulfill the mission of the church to get the gospel out to a lost and dying world. A very interesting shortcut through